Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, serves as chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and we are delighted to have you join us week after week to look at issues and concerns that caregivers and their families may have. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Sunday afternoons at 6 p.m., and podcasts of all of our shows are available as well. Uh, so, Carol, it's been a week. What's up? Well, you know, I, I've been looking in the news, and with all of the election news and everything else that's going on. Oh, there's an election coming? Yeah, yeah you, you. I know you probably haven't heard anything about <laughs> no, it. No, nothing. So I pulled out things that have nothing to do with any elections. These are mere curiosities. I can tell that my brain was on lightweight um, as I went through the newspaper, because the first thing I found from the New York Times has to do with those standing desks. And I know we've talked about it in the past, but um, I recently... You know, the yin and yang of things. I saw two articles on standing desks. They now make conveyor belt desks, too. And what does the conveyor belt desk do? You're on a conveyor belt. I mean, a, oh, a oh, treadmill. Oh, yeah, like a treadmill. Like yeah, a yeah, treadmill. yeah. These are me. not the treadmill. Right. I don't know how anybody can yeah. walk and type I don't know. at the same time. That's, or that's, think. That's just silly. <laughs> but but these standing desks are like everywhere. And they're expensive, and, and I have people asking for them at work. And so, you know, just in case you're out there, you know, and, and you're a little bit sedentary. So for those of you, especially working caregivers who are listening, and, you, and you've heard about these standing desks, you know, they rounded up a group of uh, volunteers at the University of Pittsburgh. And these volunteers were in their 20s, right? So they burn more calories probably than <laughs> the rest of us who are older. And they had them sit down and stand up or stand up and sit down in various orders and then do a little bit of walking. So what they found was that the difference between sitting and standing for 15 minutes is guess how many calories? 300. Two Two, two calories? Two calories. So if you were to stand I've up for an hour at work. I've never seen eyes get that big. Look if you were to stand up at work. <laughs> Versus sitting wow. down at work, we're talking like eight calories more that you would burn. So if the reason you're getting the stand-up desk is to c- help control your weight, you're absolutely looking in the wrong place. That's really something. I know, because that's what you keep hearing about. Now, I, you know, there are be- other benefits um, to standing up. Uh, besides weight loss, it helps control your blood sugar. If you have back pain or shoulder pain from hunching over, it's going to help that. But uh, honestly, if you just get up from your desk and walk around for 15 minutes, you know, you're going to burn like 50 calories versus the eight. Um, uh, just to put it in context, a cup of coffee with cream and sugar is 50 calories. Wow. So standing up all day long doesn't even help you burn off the cup of coffee you had the first thing in the morning. Now, for those of you who just joined us, a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking with Dr. Roxanne Delgado and Kimberly McConnell. They're with the Military Caregivers Health Assessment Program, and uh, they studied caregivers of military members, and we're going to talk about Dr. Delgado's postdoctoral work, and that should be really, really interesting. Uh, If you um, don't have one of those desks... Your point is, you don't need one. Well, it depends on why you want one. Okay, so here's part two. Remember, I said there were two articles. So the second one said, standing desks boost productivity. 
Mm. Okay, so this is a study from Texas A&M, which is you know the School of Public Health, closer to our neighborhood, and they had 167 employees in a call center where they had they put some on a standing desk and some on a just a regular desk, and what they found was that the standing people were in the first six months 23 percent more productive. So. How do you measure productivity? For them, it was they received the call, they handled the call, they set up a follow-up appointment. It was a complete transaction. And in a call center, you know, productivity, that's everything. It's how many calls right. can you handle. And But in the second six months, they had a 53% increase. So they were way, way, way more productive huh. than the people that were sitting down. So, um, you know, they, they really felt like in this article that – it was people felt like they were doing something good for themselves and they tended to be more engaged. Um, it was their, their attitude about work and how they felt about themselves. You know, they are attributing that pro- possibly to the boost in productivity. So I guess the thing on the standing desk, if you're one of those people who's even thinking about it, you know, it, again, we find that walking and, and exercising, right, the regular old stuff is still right. works the best. Um, but you may, in terms of blood flow and energy, I have heard people that have at the standing desk say they don't get that ebb and energy that you get oh. from sitting all day. So you may be more productive and you may have a better attitude about work. That's not a bad thing. But those eight calories you're burning, not I'm worth sorry. It. I'm sorry. You know what we ought to do is get a study done of uh, Aggies at an Aggie football game because they stand for the whole game. There you go. And how many, let's see, that's, how many calories that's are they burning? two hours. There we go. There's 16 calories. Two or three hours. <laughs> okay, well. Then all and the way up to 24 calories. You're still. With the beer and the popcorn. Yeah, with the beer and the popcorn, you're definitely in a negative ratio. <laughs> Clearly. No. What else you got for us? Well, the other thing was. From your vast research department. My vast research. So, this also, you know, the headline grabbed me because there's a lot of talk about how long can people possibly live? What's the, the maximum amount of years a human being can live? I know and the answer to that. And what's the answer? 120. Well, and see, I, I said 120. That's what we've always been taught right. in aging. It's so not? apparently it's 115. Oh. Yes. They're going to cut us out of five years. Well, in 1997, the oldest woman in the world died in France, and she was 122. Ooh. She was, but they say she was really the outlier. So there is um, a researcher, and I apologize. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Jan Vig, V-I-J-G. Um, and he is with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Bitch, bitch. Um, and so what he did is he looked at longevity tables um, for the last 100 years. And, and we know that we're living longer. So at the turn of the century, 1900, the average uh, person lived to be about 50. And then right now, uh, the average person born in the United States lives to be 79. If you're born in Japan, you're going to live to be 83. So it sounds like we're getting older, older, older. But what he found looking at these tables is that the biggest increase, once you get rid of the antibiotics and children not dying, that the biggest increase was at the the oldest ages. So more 102-year-olds, more 110-year-olds. And then what he found is that that's maxed out. We're at 115. There's nobody since the 1980s that's lived more than 115 years and so he believes and trust me there are plenty of people to argue the contrary that this is it we have hit the upper end you know i said 120 why did you say 120 there's an ancient jewish saying at a birthday party where you say to someone and i don't know the yiddish may you live to 120 
Oh, you that's know, but the that wish. Actually, that actually, if you study the, uh, the Hayflick theory of cell division, they're saying that at 120, your cells just degrade. Every time they mutate, you know, your cells divide, divide, right. they get a little less perfect. Tired. If you've seen that that movie with Michael Keaton where he clones himself and yes. he gets a little yeah. less Michael right. Keaton every time. Right. Yeah. And so eventually it just, they degrade so much the whole system huh. goes down. But then you have researchers like here at the Barshop Institute who are trying to cure that cellular decay. So if we can address that, who knows, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. So that's part one of how long do you... You probably will live 115, maybe the max, maybe not. I'm shooting for 89. That's when Reagan graduates high school. So the second question, and all of a sudden I read the article, how long do you want to live? Oh, so, boy. That's a good point. Right. So this is interesting because it's a study by the um, Robert Butler Columbia Aging Center, and Robert Butler was very big in, in the aging field. And they asked 1,600 adults, how long do you want to live? And about a third of them, these were all 18 to 64, about a third of them said that they only wanted to live in their 80s. Really? And then you had a quarter of them wanted to live to be in their 90s, and the rest wanted to live 100 or more. And so most of these people, you know, it was a random sample, but men and women, educated, didn't matter. What they found was that those people who had a pessimistic view of aging of as a time of decline and losing right. things they were the ones that were more afraid of growing old than dying which i thought was fascinating so uh, you know people that were african-american tended to be the ones who wanted to live in their hundreds huh. um, and people that were non-white so hispanic and other uh, were folks that um, were more likely to pick a shorter lifespan how long do you want to live um, you know, for me, I think around 90, I would say 90s. She looks so young. Iffy. That's, I, you know, but I think people mistake short for younger. But <laughs> <laughs> well, then we you, both have an you advantage. Look, you look at the same size as children, <laughs> yeah. you must be young. Um, yes, neither Ron nor I are, are extremely tall people. Although I did meet We a sound guy. tall on the radio, right. but we're not. I met a guy uh, Sunday uh, who's probably in his 40s, has a 30-inch waist. I said, do you shop in the Billy the Kid department and the boys department? He didn't think that was funny. He didn't think that was no. funny. But how many Because you if you've suffered through not being able to find clothes that's that fit. True. There was a period in my life, yes, where I remember if I could just get into a size zero in teens, I could get out of those bow ties and ruffles. <laughs> you know, and I'm almost 20 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, you're listening to WellMed Radio? No, Caregiver SOS on air. But WellMed Radio precedes this show, so you can hear both on a Sunday. We're on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, WellMed Radio at 5, Caregiver SOS on air at 6 p.m. So the last thing I wanted to talk about before we go to our guests yes. is our upcoming Caregiver Summit yes. on November the 10th. That's a Friday. That's a Thursday. That's, I knew that. That was a Thursday. <laughs> it's free. We have three fabulous guests. One is Lynn Friss Feinberg, who is the policy senior policy advisor with AARP. What does that mean? It means that she knows the laws and the regs and the things that are going to help basic family caregivers have a better life because we're going to change the rules. This will be right after the election. This will be right after the election. Um, the second person is Rundy Purdy, who is, was a guest on our show. He wrote a book. Um, the Sea is Wide, about his caregiving experiences with his grandfather. Remember we said we, we loved him on the show. And he was like 20 when he took right. over caring for his grandparents. So he was he's you know an old soul, but he has this wonderful book, and he's going to be talking. Um, and then the third huh. um, guest is a friend of yours, Dr. 
Could be Jamie Heisman. No, no, no. Harry Croft. Harry Croft. Oh, thank you. I was yes, Harry Sorry, Croft. Dr. Croft. He's a specialist in Alzheimer's. <laughs> yes, so, Dr. Harry Croft, who's going to talk. We'll he news. was on the show yeah. talking about the trials he has for Alzheimer's right. and some of the research. Right. So um, three wonderful guests. It's free, 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 free. Includes breakfast and lunch. We have vendors, people that provide uh, services to caregivers. free flu shots. Free flu shots, free experts, free everything. Um, at our caregiver summer, November 10th, go to our website at www.caregiversos.org and sign up today. www.caregiversos.org. And we hope you join us on Thursday, November 10th, and we can uh, learn all about caregiving and, and what's coming and, and uh, uh, take a look over the horizon with the new president-elect. Be there. Be there. That's cool. Now, uh, I'm going to give you a pass. You, you have a... Another appointment that you couldn't cancel, so you're going to have to leave while we invite our guests in. That way folks who are listening won't have to wonder what happened to Carol. What happened to me? I'm she's, sorry. I'm running out of the studio. She's being held hostage in the corner of the studio. You wouldn't let me talk anymore. Okay. So we're going to, in just a moment here, welcome Dr. Roxanne Delgado and Kimberly McConnell talking about caregivers for military members. Right here on Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in... The year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues. We've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. We are so pleased that you stuck with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. As we mentioned uh, right before we did a little business at our end, Carol Zerniel, our co-host, had another appointment that she could not get out of, and so she is off taking care of that. Well, I have the distinct honor, privilege, and pleasure of welcoming to our Caregiver SOS On Air studio, Dr. Roxanne Delgado and Kimberly McConnell. Both are very heavily involved in a study involving caregivers of military members, many of whom have been wounded, many have suffered very severe brain injuries, and a whole lot more. And we're going to be talking about what they're looking at. Over 5 million caregivers across this country caring for injured, wounded uh, military personnel. So to both of you, welcome. And let me start first with uh, Dr. Delgado. got a little background on you. You joined the Military Health Institute as a postdoctoral fellow in February of 2016. You work in the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics. I'd love to say epidemiology and biostatistics. Focusing on the chronic effects of neurotrauma with emphasis on traumatic brain injury, TBI, which is a huge, huge problem. She holds a Master of Science in Epidemiology from the University of Puerto Rico Medical Sciences and obtained her Ph.D. in Interdisciplinary Health Sciences from the University of Texas at El Paso. And her, uh, her business card is about nine feet long to carry all that information on it. She's also the wife of a Purple Heart recipient. 
Thank you for coming in. Now, Kimberly, I have nothing on you, so clearly you're in the witness protection program. <laughs> Tell us what the law will allow you to say about yourself. I would be happy to do that. Um, I recently came over to the UT Health Science Center in June, um, work in the same department, so you can say epidemiology again. Oh, cool. Epidemiology <laughs> um, and biostatistics. <laughs> with uh, Dr. Delgado, I have a master's in counseling and a doctor in education from the University of Southern California. Um, so very excited to come over. I've been um, participating in military research for over 10 years now um, with a focus on, on the military family. So Well, your two backgrounds mesh perfectly for, for what, as I understand it, you all are after. Now, I need you to lean into that microphone and tell me, Dr. Degato, first of all, uh, in your own situation, you have a spouse who was uh, wounded in service? Yes, that's correct. My husband was wounded in uh, June 29, 2009, and um, it happened in Iraq. So he was wounded. I got the call. The We regret to inform you at 4 o'clock in the morning. Why is it always 4 in the morning? I don't know. You know, that's because a great question. Because when the phone question. rings, you knew <laughs> this was not good news. Correct, yes. And and when it's 4 in the morning and you get a call and he says that it's unidentified, you know something, it's not that good. So, yeah, I don't know why. So what did they say to you? They said, um, Ms. Elgado, are you, um, where are you? So they asked where. At 4 in the morning. Yes. Where yeah. are you? I'm just leaving the club. Um, are you driving? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no. I'm in the hotel room. Um and, and they said, we regret to inform you that your husband was um, involved in an accident. And they call it accident, although it was an explosive form projectile. So it was an IED. Um, it was an explosion. And the rest is just that he's being transported to a medical facility. Other than that, you don't, they don't say anything else. They don't, they don't talk about the medical status or anything. So you're just left in, you know, more questions than answers. And your heart's going a million miles a minute, right? Uh, two million, yes. So what did you do? So in my case, um, because you don't think about it when you see your service member or your loved one leave um, to war, and it was our third deployment, so I was pretty much, I felt like I was ready for this third deployment. And this was this happened a month after he already um, hit the ground in, uh, in Iraq. So at first, I, you know, there's a lot of confusion. I called my parents right away, went on my knees, pray, and, and the rest was just waiting for the next phone call. And how long did it take for you to find out where he was and how he was doing? So that second phone call, because they call you later on that day, um, during the same day, to see how you're doing, if you have family close by, if you need any help with anything. Um, but again, you don't know anything about the medical condition. But then um, some some battalion, you know, commander uh, was able to get a hold of me, and he explained a little bit more. And how was he, your husband? Um, he sustained a moderate brain injury. So at the time, he was talking very like uh, with a lot of. He didn't talk basically too much. He has slurred speech. Um, the only thing that he said, and this was the next day, he said we were blown up. Um, I remember asking him, do you get burned? Because that was my, one of my worries, you know, are you burned? I, I know that those are usually the worst injuries. And he said, no, I'm in one piece, but I, I got blown up. So um, he had three bleedings in his brain. Um, he has many and multiple disabilities, but that doesn't stop him. It's like He's a stroke. Here. Yes, it is like, like a brain a, hemorrhage. Correct. It is like a stroke. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and did you have anyone... Uh, like Kimberly, you could talk to? I mean, that's Absolutely. when you really needed a counselor. You know what? Absolutely. Kimberly and I go back 10 years. So when all this happened, Kimberly was there. She was a colleague at work. Um, she has seen every step of the way. And so what'd she you has tell her? been there. What'd you say to her? 
I think in those situations, um, you just let the person know, I'm here. Um, oftentimes, it's just sitting with them, having coffee. It's not necessarily doing anything, just being. Um, I think so often we feel we have to fill space with words. And I just wanted to, Roxana just to know I was present as they began this journey, her healing journey as well as her husband's, um, that she had someone in her corner. And she's an amazing, resilient person. Um, and so it was easy to be there. I know sometimes it's not always easy, but to encourage people that when someone takes on the role of caregiver, that's not the time to walk away. It's the time to be present. Where was your husband at the time? What medical center? Um, he was transported to different medical centers um, in the area of Iraq, and then he ended up being in Landstuhl Army Medical Center in Germany. There he was for uh, three to four weeks, and then he was medevac um, here to the United States. And did the uh, military send you to him? No, because unless the person is, um, usually when they send you to, to them, it's because they can, they're probably not going to, uh, you know, going to die. Able to, yes. So, <laughs> you know, but yes. You cut through it all. Cut. Not good <laughs> if they offer to fly you there because you didn't know that Then, at the you time. know, it's pretty bad. Yes. Right. I tried to fly there, but they say even if you pay for your own ticket, you, we won't let you see him. So he's going through a lot of battery of tests. And yeah. But anyway, four weeks later, he made it home. And, and home to San Antonio. Um, home was at that time for Bliss, uh, Texas. Oh, so okay. that's in El Paso, Texas. Right. And that's where he received most of his care, huh. uh, combined with Walter Reed and um, a private neuro rehab center. Mm-hmm. And how is he doing now? He's doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. He, he's one of those guys that he doesn't stop. He, he's a fighter. You can see his medical record. It's a whole list of disabilities. But in reality, when you look at him, he's so positive and so eager. And it's like he says, he owns his condition. And that's something that makes me extremely proud. And how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. But if you asked this question five years ago, seven years ago, <laughs> I would be here a basket case. Now, did your work <laughs> focusing on caregiving for intramilitary grow out of your own experience? Yes, absolutely. In the career, so I was a researcher back then, um, but I was focusing on PTSD, TBI, some of the traumatic brain injury studies, uh, program evaluation. But like Kimberly mentioned, our hearts was always always with our military families. So it's kind of like if, if, if the life, the lived experience shaped a little bit how our future was going to um, wow. take on in a new journey. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio's companion, Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our regular co-host, is off on special assignment. And we're delighted to talk with Dr. Roxanne Delgado and her colleague, Kimberly McConnell, Dr. McConnell and Dr. Delgado, both working in the area of caregiving for military uh, families, their loved ones, and those who have been injured. Uh, and I would assume as you uh, began to do your work, uh, you were looking for, for what, a, a way to ease that burden that's on caregivers as well as on the injured military? Um, I, I think for me, um, in when Roxanne and I several years ago sat down and brainstormed um, about this, it came out of the love for the military family. I'm a military brat. My dad served 34 years in the Army, um, and I'm a Gold Star wife. And so I lost my husband in Desert Storm. And Roxanne and I you know, will share with people when, when the flag is handed to a family um, after their loved one has been killed in the line of duty, when that flag is handed over and they lean down and whisper into your ear, a lot of people don't realize what, what the words are that are said. 
And what I was told is this is from a grateful nation. And I've always held on to that. So when Roxana came to me and we, we talked about this, we felt this was a, a great platform, a great way to show to our, that we truly are a grateful nation, that we are going to stand by these family members and these families to show them they're not alone, that we're going to help them get through um, this process and, as Roxana says, reinvent themselves. You know how the shoemaker's kids never have shoes. Correct. Here you're a trained therapist, a counselor, mm -hmm. uh, and you get word that your husband's been killed in action. Yeah. What was that like? Um, when I, for me, it was the, I uh, had kind of the, the Hollywood picture of the two soldiers standing at the door to notify you. Um, my father was active duty still at the time, and um, when my husband deployed uh, overseas, I moved to Fort Hood with my, with my parents, and so they received word first. So when I came home and I walked in and I could tell something was wrong with my father's look on his face and the look on my mother's face, and when I rounded the corner and saw two soldiers standing there, you know as a spouse of a service member, you know they're not there to tell you, oh, we're transporting him to launch school. Um, and so I, for me, it was like a light switch went off and I dropped to my knees, I passed out. So um, it was, it took a good five years to begin to, to heal from that. And so- I've and heard stories friends. of families that won't even open the door. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when my, they see them standing there, right? My, my father, you know. my father will tell you when he opened the door because as an as an army chaplain, he's right. usually oh, the he's one, an army chaplain. He's oh. usually the one on the other side making the wow. notification, and so when he opened the door and saw them, he shut it wow. and didn't want to let them in. All right, Roxanne, you got to quit crying so I can quit crying. <laughs> You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron. Where do you hear us on 9:30 a.m. The answer. You're with us on Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Two incredible, powerful stories from Dr. Roxanne Delgado and Dr. Kimberly McConnell. We're talking about their own personal experiences dealing with loss and caregiving in the military. In Kimberly's case, her husband is killed in action. And in Roxanne's case, husband wounded in action. Uh, and they are faced with uh, issues that uh, really are causing them to turn it into a positive, and that's to develop a program to help caregivers of military members both hang out at the UT Health Science Center here in uh, San Antonio. So you suffer an enormous loss mm -hmm. for which you were totally trained to handle, but when it's yourself, you can't handle it. Though. Really Correct. difficult. Correct. A and in your case, uh, uh, Roxanne, you too become a caregiver, something you had never plan to do, never trained for, never expected, and you turn this into a positive. Tell me about your next steps. So um, let me just say first that um, because I want to clarify, and Kimberly and I talk about this constantly, when you're a caregiver, you also suffer a loss because that person is still very much here, and a lot of caregivers out there that are listening to this uh, amazing, um, you know, caregivers, caregivers SOS, they need to understand that it's okay to grieve the person that they're letting go. And it's called ambiguous loss. Um, the person is very much present. My husband is still very much here physically, but he's not the same man I married. 
So um, so we talked about this constantly, and we want caregivers to know that it is okay to go through that uh, grieving process. So what is next? We were so fortunate to be um, brought on board by the UT uh, Health Science Center San Antonio, specifically under the Military Health Institute. They're the ones who are sponsoring our studies, and they're the ones who are giving us and opening all the doors um, to be able to do this amazing endeavor. So what we're looking at is um, not only conducting research on caregivers um, and, and for the benefit of our military caregivers. Our military caregivers are called the hidden heroes because you have these heroes that are coming home that are wounded, um, but then the care, their caregivers are the ones who are really taking the toll and are really taking the, um, the effort to reintegrate them to society and to help them um, heal and, and, and continue this journey. So what is next, and Kimberly could probably add a little bit to it, but we're creating a military and veteran caregiver uh, portfolio. So we're conducting research. We're also um, partnering with some organizations to uh, run some programs, and that's, where ki that's Kimberly's area. And then we're also impacting policy. So we're trying to utilize some of the research findings. We want to translate that into services and programs. And we want to get to that legislator's office and say, hey, we need your help in changing policy and shape shaping policy based on what we're, we're finding. What and kind of policy changes do you need? So right now there's a bill um, that passed the Senate and it's, it's in the um, House and it's the Military and Veteran Caregiver Services Improvement Act. And uh, what we're trying to do, and this is as part of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, which are great partners, is that we're trying to um, pre and post 9-11 caregivers to have uh, different services to attend to their needs. So there, there have been some studies about needs assessment and the gaps on caregivers, and we're trying to fill those, like mental health um, services, educational services, stipend, for because many of them are young, between 18 and 28 years old. And they've given up their income and future exactly. income. Exactly. So, so we're trying to find ways to support these families. Now, that bill will not go through this Congress. Congress will do nothing between now and January 1st. But we're hoping that maybe it's next year. It's going to start again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I don't, you're aware of that. I mean, yes, yes. Yeah. The screeching halt you hear out of Washington is a screeching halt. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's politics. Yes. But nobody could be opposed to what you're trying to do, I wouldn't mm -hmm. think. No. Unless it's the Grinch. Correct. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Our husband didn't give up, so right. we're not giving up either. So, so what else are you trying to do? You mentioned programs and services. Obviously, there's a shortage uh, of qualified counselors and therapists to deliver the kind of help uh, that these families need, both the individual who's been wounded uh, mm -hmm. and their caregiver, the hidden hero, as you call them. Mm -hmm. So w what do you do for that, Kimberly? Well, that's one of the things that we want to try to do in our research when we identify the gaps that are there, which we know mental health um, is one of those, is to bring on evi evidence-based programs to address those needs. Um, one thing that has recently happened in the state of Texas is Senate Bill 55 um, that was passed to expand services to mental health services to veterans and their families. So um, it was $20 million that was um, appropriated for that. And so we're excited. We'll be a part of that here in Bear County um, in, in looking into that. And what we're most excited about with this for Bear County, you want to talk a little bit about it, the population that 
Two of you are we, so cute working together. <laughs> I just love this. Roxana, Roxana lights up when she talks <laughs> about this. Yeah. So I will let her talk about the population that we're hoping that this will serve that sure. so often gets dropped out that mm -hmm. people don't think about. So, so we have, um, <laughs> we have <See>? the veterans. <laughs> so we have an amazing group of veterans that are heroes. Yes. They have some type of depression, PTSD, any behavioral health or mental health issue. Mm -hmm. um, they couldn't complete their contracts, so automatically they're out of the system. Um, many of them, they cannot find jobs, they're out there somewhere. Um, but they don't have a DD-214, which is the form required to receive a lot of the uh, services as a retiree. As a retiree. So a DD-214 is your discharge paperwork. So they're not properly discharged. They are sometimes dis discharged under um, dishonorable discharge because of any misconduct. That, of course, comes out of as a result from the mental health. Um, in that sense, they don't have any access. So this bill and this grant, what it's gonna be doing is that it's gonna be covering those uh, veterans that very much deserve these services, cool. but are not entitled under any other um, program. So, and now Bear County is doing this for the first time in collaboration with the UT Health Sciences Center. Who was your rabbi in the Senate? Uh, did you have one legislator who was? Well, there's one legislator that he's been amazing. He always opened the, his doors to us, um, and that's Senator Corning. And he's been amazing. He put his staff um, right there Good. for us. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that he did is that he joined the caucus, the Military Caregivers mm -hmm. Caucus, and it's a bipartisan caucus, so mm -hmm. uh, le uh, led by um, uh, uh, Minority Leader Pelosi and uh, Senator Joe McCain. Cool. That's a good thing. Very good thing. So what else are you looking at? And for folks who are listening, uh, and, and we, we target a lot of caregivers and their families, mm -hmm. uh, many of whom are military because we're Military City USA, obviously. Mm -hmm. are, are you providing direct services, referrals? What is it they can find from you all to UT Health Science Center? So we don't... Um, We'll be very happy uh, because we do a lot of advocacy work and community uh, work. We'll be very happy to address any questions anybody has. Our phone number is 210-562-5552. You get um, to do that twice on the radio. Okay. 210. 210-562-5552. And ask for Kimberly or? Or Rexana. Either Santa. one. Yeah. All right. So we do not um, provide direct services with the caregiver portfolio, mm -hmm. um, but uh, UT Health Science Center does have counseling, and we definitely are working with Bear County um, and other organizations with it in Bear County that do provide those services. So um, we can definitely um, connect folks with the services. The the thing that we're excited about in our research that we're going to be looking at that other research has not done to this point. Um, and Roxanne will get excited about this again, but is the health outcomes. Um, what's happening to the health of these caregivers? They are young. They're not your traditional caregiver when you think, in, when we say the word caregiver, they're probably their picture does not come to mind. Um, so we're gonna be looking at, um, in our first round of research here, um, and actually we wanna continue doing it, but looking at the, the health of these caregivers um, because their, their health is declining. It's, of course, stress yeah, and absolutely. stress they don't and care these for conditions. Themselves. Correct. They don't. Yeah. They mm -hmm. put everybody right. else's needs first. And I mean, that's true of caregivers. I'm no guilty of that. She's, yes. <laughs> she is. Very guilty of it. And how are you doing with that now? <laughs> At least she's you know it's a problem. She's, she's here <laughs> now, and so I'm pushing her buttons on a regular basis. Hey, well, good. take Correct. care of yourself. Yes. Yeah, so. so you need a great partner. You need a great friend that is there for you. Um, did you all, mm -hmm. uh, how did you two meet? 
So we were colleagues since 10 years ago. And you we, said that, we huh? used to you? work. You're getting we messages passed <laughs> to you. <laughs> we, met, you we met as distant colleagues. Uh, Kimberly was here in San Antonio. I was working out of Fort Bliss. And um, we, we just met each other over phones. We have uh, regular meetings all about research. Then uh, that was since 2006 or seven. Then Vitor was wounded, and that's when Victor, we started. Husband. Yeah, Vitor, my husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when did your husband pass? My husband was um, actually killed in 1991 in Desert Storm. Wow. Way before I met yeah, Kimberly. Yeah, long before you mm -hmm. met. Yeah. And did you find that story out at some point? Obviously, you must. Well, have. I knew that uh, right when I met Kimberly. Um, that was actually when uh, our supervisor back then he said, um, she said. You know, Kimberly's a military spouse, but she saw she she lost her husband in Desert Storm, and I remember writing an email old. to her. You got married at eight? How old? <laughs> I did. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, so, I, I was I was a young widow, and that yeah, and that was the, and that was the thing too. You know, um, learning to to navigate things when you're not the norm, and I think that's what these caregivers are having to do. Right. They're not the norm. They're not what we think of as a caregiver. Um, so. <clears throat> It's very uh, amazing to to watch this um, take place, and and it's like Roxana says with our research, and we'll we'll talk about the study here in a minute, so people can know yeah. more about our study. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't have normally research takes fifteen to seventeen years to to translate, and we don't have that with with this population. We we need to this needs to be done yesterday. So tell me about your study. We've got about two minutes. Okay. So give me the so, one minute version. Sure. So if you're a military caregiver, if you're caring for a wounded, ill, or injured service member, we would like to know how is your health, physical, emotional, social. We want to know how you cope with everything um, that you're going through. Um, and our study is, is going to start recruiting as soon as we receive the final approvals, uh, which we're expecting to be uh, now in November. So if you have any questions or if you would like to see how you're going to be involved, you can call us to 210-562-5552. Um, She's looking for families who'd like to volunteer. Correct. Yes. And it'll, and it'll be a web-based survey. They'll take a survey, um, and we'll do some some interviews with mm -hmm. folks. So we would like to talk to. That we would we would love to give them the opportunity to have a voice. Yes. And we'd love to get you all back on uh, once that study gets underway to get a sense of what you're finding. Okay. Uh, intuitively, you know what you're going to find. It will be a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you. I mean, but you you do know uh, what you're experiencing and what you experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking at. Uh, the two who had very different experiences but very similar. Right. Uh, it can't be that different for a lot of people. Right. Correct. A lot of depression, a lot of anger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Resentment, yes. isolation. Yeah, mm -hmm. drug, alcohol abuse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and uh, declining health. So you're going to fix that, I hope. We're hoping. We hope. Well, you two look great, and you've been great guests. Thank you. I, I'm you know, so sorry that you had to have the experiences you had, but it makes for a great show and it makes for a great study and a great program. So uh, right. in that way, it's a real positive benefit. We Anything I haven't asked you you want to throw in? No, I just want to say that we just learned how to dance in the rain. That's right. That's right. Well, That's summarized. You and Gene Kelly, you could dance and <laughs> sing in the rain. <laughs> Can't sing. But oh, come on. Well, thank you both. What a pleasure, thank Dr. You, Roxanne Delgado and Dr. Kimberly McConnell. Thank you so much at the UT Health Science Center. It's incredible talking to the two of you. And it isn't often all three guests the host and three guests, two guests cry at the same time. Even Roland had a tear rolling down that battered face. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening to uh, Caregiver SOS On Air. Up next, take 10. It's hard to believe, but this all began in 
the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues. We've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, thank you very much for staying with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of each of our programs, we jump to Take 10, a 10-minute look at a topic of interest to folks who are caregivers, their friends and family and others. And this topic welcomes on board Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist in Florida, joins us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. Uh, Dr. Jamie is a specialist in addictions and caregiving. And Carol Zerniel and me, Ron Aaron, we ride along with us and got a pretty good topic you want to take a look at. Well, this one was appeared on the Huffington Post. Um, and all of us, if we're working with caregivers um, or we are caregivers, eventually we're going to come across someone who is dealing with a terrible illness or someone who's lost a loved one. And for many of us, I think, especially these days, it can be really hard when we have no idea how to comfort someone. So, Jamie, why is it so difficult for us to figure out something to say or do when, when someone else is grieving? You know, Carol, the hardest thing for us to do as caregivers and just even as, as human beings is to accept uh, our powerlessness. That's the most difficult thing. We stay in control, or we want to have the semblance of staying in control. And watching a loved one suffer is one of the hardest things in the world. We feel like, you know, we're being trapped in their nightmare and and we want to be able to fix it. That's, that's really the essence of it. There's, you know, we just want to fix it. So many of us, you know, feel like we need to rush in and just say something, say anything uh, to try to comfort someone, you know, especially if, they, if their loved one, let's say that they, the person is a caregiver and their loved one has passed away. Um, you know, is, that, is that always the best approach? Is saying something, anything better than saying nothing? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I, you know, my feeling is you, you bear witness. You, you give a person a safe place, some person that they can actually talk to, someone who will listen, somebody will stare them in the eyes as opposed to looking down or around. I mean, there's so many ways to support your loved one. Uh, um, it's not your job to take away their pain. You need to acknowledge this and, and, and accept it if you're a caregiver. Um, but your love and understanding, I think, is the best medicine that they need. And that feeling of love and understanding comes across loud and clear when you're present in the moment. And, and also taking time to learn about their illness. So in these days where so often we turn to um, our cell phone, is texting sorry for your loss? Is it appropriate to text, you know, at this time? Wow. You know, bearing witness, I've never thought of it from an electronic basis, but I'd say an absolute no. 
beyond that, um, if you can't pick up the phone and, and be there, be present for them and understand what they're going through and, and, and realize you can't fix it, but you can certainly communicate your, your empathy and your sympathy and your compassion to them, um, there's nothing nothing that substitutes for that. But if you talk to millennials, as I, I do from time to time when I can't avoid it, and you talk about phones and phone calls, I had a conversation the other day w- w- with a young man who uh, we were talking about texting versus phone calls. I said, uh, how often do you make a phone call? He said, never, maybe two a month, maybe two a month. They use texting for everything, everything. I know, and I think that's a, a, an issue that we really all need to look at. I think, how can you validate somebody's pain through a text? And, and how can you you be there and you know for this person in a text? And I think that whether they choose, the millennials, if you will, to use text, I think we have to be vigilant about our values and how we approach death, dying, chronic illness, um, you know, issues like that. I mean, we have to be there. We don't have to text. Text is a, it's too easy, Ron. It's well, too easy. I was going to say that needs to be one of the two phone calls that month that the person <laughs> makes. That's a good point. <laughs> you have to spring for that. You know, I often say texting is an inaccurate form of communication because you can use all the emoji, the little faces, you know, animals, whatever it is that you want, but um, you, you can't communicate the sound, the emotion that goes with the words um, when you're doing something in a text, you know, and... But now you can send voice texts. Well, you can't... Okay, so complicate it <laughs> further. Thank you. You can send voice... Okay, voice text. That's kind of like a voicemail, but you're not actually talking to the person. You're right. leaving them a message. Correct. You're talking at them. Yes. So well, And Ron, you, you know there's also other programs, which I've even sent you, Marco Polo, which yes. allows you to actually videotape the text. And, and you know, that's getting closer. But to be perfectly blunt with you, uh, just like Carol said, that should be one of your calls and that value should be instilled upon that person. Um, we often get fearful of what to say. And I think that says a lot about our own self-care and our own confidence in ourselves. Stick with us. We're right now doing Take 10 here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel and our good friend Dr. Jamie Heisman talking about how to comfort someone uh, in a time of crisis, loss, uh, and what are the best ways to do that because none of us really know what to say. Well, there were two interesting examples in this particular um, post. One of them was talking about uh, the value of listening, that rather than saying anything, they simply ask, you know, you know, uh, at the end of your life, you know, what were the things that your mother enjoyed? Um, and let the, the caregiver talk about her mother and just take it from there. And that became multiple conversations so that this person, whenever, you know, they saw them, they, they would think again, they, you know, renew the conversation, you know, what I really miss about my mother. And it just gave a chance for that caregiver to, you know, talk through her emotions. And that person just listened and didn't really say anything other than, you know, a question to trigger a response. One of the nice things about being Jewish, Dr. Jamie, is uh, sitting Shiva after a death where the family will gather and friends and relatives will come visit. And a lot of that is done at that event. It is. And and freshing is, too, if you will. Eating and celebrating the person's life when you're sitting on that bench and sitting Shiva. It's a it's a routine in which it's it's a ritual. It's something that allows you to start transforming 
Uh, but to Carol's point, you know, just to, to be with somebody and give them space when they need it is incredibly important. I don't know if we understand in this fast-paced world that living, you know, with chronic illness can be so incredibly lonely. And it's easy to feel disconnected from the world. And so it, it, to relate to somebody is extraordinarily important. Just knowing we're not alone in that moment of pain is enough for us. And so for somebody to be there, if you will, and yet to give space, I think is is the greatest thing we could possibly do as a caregiver. Well, the other example that they gave that was so interesting was uh, there was a woman who really didn't want any visitors. She was, you know, in deep mourning. Um, and so the gentleman uh, came to her house and he just pulled the crabgrass in her yard um, and pulled the weeds. And so he did knock on the door. He knew that she could see that he was out there doing something for her in her yard, that he was there and thinking of her. Um, but he just did a little lawn work for her, uh, rather than, you know, actually approaching her, which I thought was kind of interesting. I don't I'm trying to think how I would feel if I, you know, my, saw some saw, well, saw a friend out there pulling the crabgrass, you know, in the yard. It would take forever. And wow. Anything like that is important. Actually, what you're doing is validating their existence. And so uh, the person who's disconnected, a person who has chronic illness, a person who doesn't feel a part of this world, who sees somebody you know, mowing their grass or, or experiences somebody in front of them who says, I, I understand how you feel, I mean, it can go you know, so far. Well, and I think the other thing that even if we, you know, there's that immediate loss, but I'm thinking of someone, um, their son committed suicide, and um, another person, I think it had been like maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 years since the son had committed suicide, and called on the her son's birthday and said, I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about your son. And she's like, no one ever says his name anymore. No one remembers him anymore. And it just meant so much to her that many years later that someone mentioned him and remembered him. And so, you know, remembering our loved ones, uh, having somebody remember our loved ones with us later on can be important, too. That's a great idea. No, it, is, it is a wonderful idea. And it, it says something that the, the texters and the millennials uh, will probably have to learn. And I'm sure they will. I think this is a heartfelt piece here. It's just a, that people just want people to understand them and to be there for them. And actually, again, this goes back to many of our other uh, take tens, where really it's about our own self-care, our own ability to sit with somebody in discomfort, and yet to listen and just to be present. At some future take ten, we ought to talk about loneliness. What is it? Uh, what are the manifestations? Because it it stretches across species, so that uh, humans and other animals uh, can feel loneliness more. On another take ten. We are flat out of time, Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for joining us on Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. 
seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 AM, The Answer.